people who are overworked, and that's it, just exhausted, they've got an answer. Let's deal with this workload issue. Let's deal with it. Let's, whatever we got to do, let's do that's it. That, that's a much more straightforward problem. It, it is definitely solvable. And it can address a lot of people in today's work world that are feeling overextended in that way. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Michael Leiter. And Michael, hopefully I get your entire title here. So you're an adjunct professor at Acadia University. You're an honorary professor of organizational psychology at Deakin University. And you're also the co-author with a book with Christina Maslach. It's called The Burnout Challenge, Managing People's Relationships with Their Jobs that is uh, published on Harvard University. Press. Did I get all of that? You got all that right. I am very impressed. I'm very impressed. Thank you. Oh, you well, so well, I am able to read, which is great, but I'm just so uh, excited <laughs> to chat with you and very cool because, you know, coast to coast, I'm in Vancouver. You're on the other side of the country, Nova Scotia. Uh, I'm just excited to learn more about you and learn more about uh, what you do. So why don't you tell our listeners anything I might not have mentioned so far? About who you are? Oh, that does. Yeah, I think you you you've got that basically. Uh, you you nailed, you nailed it pretty well. I, I play Irish music on flute, so that's another thing you didn't mention. But that's uh, that's part of my life. That is one of the things I really wanted to know. So that's perfect. So. Okay. Um, also, I, I'll note that we've got a little bit of connectivity issues just for the video, but hopefully our listeners don't mind too much or viewers don't mind too much. But I was just happy to see you. So, let's start with the book. What had you want to write the book? Where did you get the idea? Where did you get the inspiration? And what was your journey? And then we'll go from there. Okay, Christina Maslach and I have been doing research on burnout for many, many, many years. We started way back. Um, I went to California on a sabbatical and worked with her at Berkeley for a year and did some studies. And then it just uh, clicked. We started seeing this is a really interesting topic. It's got a lot of legs. It's going to be part of work life for time to come, and we need to be figuring this out. So we thought we'd put things together. We've been working on this you know, throughout our careers, and we wanted a book that pulled together what were the major lessons that we had gained from doing this research over the years. And that's what the Burnout Challenge has turned out to be. Cool. Obviously, you know, coming out of COVID and uh, the past couple of years where burnout and people issues have been, you know, more pronounced or more prevalent, most recently quiet quitting and whatever else has probably come up since we record and publish this. How have you seen as somebody who's, you know, a professor of organizational psychology, how have you seen burnout evolve? You know, was it easier when you could have a whiskey at your desk and it was totally acceptable? Like what was the evolution of burnout in the workspace? <laughs> well, people have had different ways. Yeah, work has always made demands on people. And, and I think what we found with defining this syndrome is that there is this collection of things that are really characteristic of people when they get sort of pushed a bit too far. And part of it is just feeling exhausted and exhausted in a way so that you're tired before the workday even begins. Like if you're tired at the end of the workday, it just means you worked hard. But if you're tired before the day begins, 
it means that you're slightly, your, your way of looking after yourself, your way of just everything's out of balance at that point. That shouldn't happen. That can happen maybe once in a while, but it shouldn't be a regular part of your life. So that kind of exhaustion is the problem. And then there, going along with that is this idea, I used to love this work and I can't stand it anymore. I can't, mm. another customer, another patient, another student, I just can't. You know, having lost what was really the motivator that put it into that sort of distancing, cynicism, depersonalization, whatever, that goes along with being really exhausted from what you're doing. And then the third part, since along with those two things comes this discouragement. Like I'm just not accomplishing anything worthwhile. Uh, I'm just spinning my wheels here. I should get out of this career as fast as I can. So that's the this triumvirate, these three dimensions that really define the syndrome. And that that's what we measure when we're doing surveys with people to find out how much of that's going on with you. Mm. I know that there's, a, I imagine there's a couple of like environmental factors as well, but why would you say that these type of things are becoming more prevalent in the workforce? Is it happening more? Is it because the speed of things? Is it the technology makes it so you can never turn off? So you don't get unexhausted? You know, what's what's driving right. burnout in 2022? Sort of all of the, all of the above. The thing about burnout is that it's sort of being driven in multiple kinds of ways. And I think partly it is different. It's more difficult for people to get some distance from their job. I mean, one, it's far more important to people, both not only in terms of making a living, but also the people's identity. A lot of work now for people, their values are really tied up in it. They're really trying to accomplish something. It makes a difference whether this thing is furthering what I think is important and really vital in the world, or whether I think I'm, I'm wasting my time, that people really want something that is meaningful out of their work. I think that, you know, you could say, well, maybe they shouldn't, but they do. <laughs> it is part of it. And there's a lot of careers that give that opportunity. There's a lot of substance to a lot of things that people do these days in terms of communications and medicine, and, you know, research and ideas. It's really fascinating that way. And so when people bring that creativity, those aspirations to their work and find that they're thwarted, they just can't make it happen. It's really, it starts hitting those qualities of, you know, it just takes away their energy, it takes away their enthusiasm. And and I think there's just more of that going on. And, you know, they the pandemic had elements that aggravated that. But a lot of um, things that are going on at work life in terms of closely monitoring people and, um, you know, making all kinds of, uh, of, of extraneous demands on people. That is all pushing that envelope as well. Mm. It, it sounds to me somewhat of a double-edged sword that over, you know, you can tell I'm relatively young in my career, relatively, and that on one hand, the opportunity to follow one's passion and to dig into something that you're super committed to provides a life or work life or career with a higher level of fulfillment satisfaction like on the hierarchy of needs you really get to that like self-actualization to a deeper level but on the flip side it also demands more of you in a good way because you want to give it that extra you want to put that 110 percent, which might be a greater uh 
lead to greater burnout through something more satisfying. Whereas if you had a career, you know, all you did was, or your job was to fill packing peanuts and you were just satisfied because that was your job, you wouldn't get burnt out because you might not lean into it as much. Am I understanding what I think you're saying? I think that's very much. And I think, you know, like university education has certainly been complicit in all this and saying, well, you should do what you believe in. You should do that, you know, the work that really is important to you. So people, it gets beyond, you know, working what you need to do just to pay the bills and be there. Uh, People are looking for something more. And one could argue that that's a reasonable expectation. Why shouldn't work life be designed so people can do that while also, you know, providing the the basic tasks that need to get done for the job, but have that capacity for people to reach beyond that. And I think that's uh, a lot of ways of workplaces are put together. Just it it doesn't allow so much for all that. It gets too constrained on people. Yeah. Well, I would imagine also the function of the evolution of opportunities. If you're in Nova Scotia and you can only work in Nova Scotia 20, 30 years ago, you were kind of limited to the jobs that were available. Now, the opportunity to work anywhere in any field is boundless. And so the propensity and availability for somebody to work in a career that they want to work in versus the job that's available, you know, a 15 minute drive from their house has also changed the dynamic of employers or employees, but also employers. Uh, Thoughts on that? I think that's that's very much happening. I think the you know, the great resignation, uh, it was really a great, the great job shift. And a lot of people were leaving lines of work that just simply weren't doing it for them and looking for those opportunities that do. And the people who did that shift are the people who really got, you know, that are up to something. There's people with energy, people with aspirations, actually the kind of people that you want to hire. And that had been, you know, then you get into those positions which have more latitude and, and and people are finding their, their feet in it and beginning to uh, really get things going. I'm, I'm not convinced as much as the, the, the quiet quitting. I'm not sure that's as much of a real thing. I, I, you saw real data about people leaving jobs. Like there was data on that. I, I think the quiet quitting sort of an idea, but I, I think very few people are going to really be content with a world where they're doing the absolute minimum and uh, and seeing if they can skim by on that. One, I think things are monitored a bit too closely to keep skimming by for very long. And secondly, it's sort of boring. Hey, Anthony here. One of the things I don't talk too much about on the podcast is what we do at SME Strategy. So I wanted to let you know that if you and your team are thinking about getting together you know, this winter or even in the new year for strategic planning, that we'd be happy to have a conversation to see how we might be able to help your team walk through the strategic planning process and make sure that your people, your strategy, your culture are on the same page. One of the most exciting parts about the work that we do is being able to lead people through a proven process to help them get to where they want to go. If you're interested about that process, our video about it on YouTube just hit over a million views. So be sure to check that out. Let us know what you think. Uh, But most importantly, I wanted to let you know that if you are looking for somebody to partner with your team to support everybody in getting aligned, moving forward towards a clear set of goals and objectives, and really making sure that you have the foundations for that next stage of growth, that we can partner with you to do that. Whether that's through an offsite strategic planning session or, you know, follow up support services to keep you accountable, to help your team grow and develop, or really to lead a full transformation. 
So if you're interested, check out smestrategy.net. You can check out our about page, our services page. It'll tell you more about how we do things. And I'd be happy to have a conversation with you to see if we're a good fit to help. Thanks so much. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. And now let's get back into the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to be doing which goes to that. Like, hey, if you're doing the thing that you want, you know, why would you give the minimum just because you're paid that? Maybe switch gears a little bit because it's interesting, like, you know, the, the great job shift. And we've talked primarily about employees. So the kind of demand or supply side, I suppose. But if we look at managers and people that are impacting that. So I know that the burnout risks, what you had mentioned in the book, a couple things, insufficient rewards, socially toxic workspace community, absence of fairness and values Mm -hmm. conflict. And a lot of those are not in fact driven by the employees, but typically driven by managers and owners. So what, what is the role that managers, owners, CEOs, et cetera, play in that level of burnout at the individual? It's a big part because as I, the, the way that we look at it is that burnout is results from a breakdown in the relationship between the person and the workplace and how they run into it. So mm. the problem's not something deep within people like a mental illness or something like it's not like that at all. It's a relationship problem between a person and their workplace. And some of that is relationships with specific individuals particularly their supervisors or whatever in the workplace. What you find when we do these surveys that cover these those six areas of work, work life is that burnout correlates with everything. Whatever you're looking at, if you ask people about the parking availability, it will correlate with the burnout scale. Everything correlates with the burnout scale because it goes to a core of how people are feeling and how they perceive the world. But what that means that... Um, that doesn't mean, well, you've got to change everything because what it does mean is you can change whatever you change. It's probably going to be a good idea. It's probably going to help people out. And so the question we look at is not what is the most powerful thing related to burnout because that's probably workload. And often there's very little, there's few options for really reducing people's workload. Uh, that isn't the most available thing for a manager to change. But these other aspects, the question is, what can you change? And can you change person's sense of control? Can you really get a person to have a better sense of feeling of control over when they do their work, how they do the work, with whom they do their work? Can you increase control? Or can you improve community? That's something I've worked on a lot. With uh, We've sort of developed a uh, an intervention process that's I liken to doing family therapy with work groups. You mm-hmm. go in and you find that there are strained relationships. They're not deadly or anything. It's just some people, they're feeling just lonely. They're feeling unsupported. People are just taking them for granted. Uh, they say good morning and nobody really uh, responds in any kind of cheerful way. You know, people really want to belong to a work group that cherishes them. They really do. They want to be valued. They want to be, I want these people to like me. That's <laughs> who so I'm spending my days with. So what, what you find is that you don't have to eliminate all the little little rudenesses. People will be rude and, and considerate themselves or some of the time, not just life. But you can make the positive interactions surrounding that to be much more prevalent. And if you can improve that community, and move people away from being rude and towards being more appreciative and acknowledging of each other, that's going to push people away from burnout and pull them over towards being more engaged in their work. Because that social dynamic is 
very powerful. People who are experiencing burnout, you know, we ask them, what's your relationship with other people? And they're saying, people are rude to me all the time. Some people are just really bullying me. But they're also saying, and I'm pretty rude to other people too, because I, I don't have any energy to put up with these idiots. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you find that you end up with a social dynamic when people are really feeling burnt out. That's really strange, both giving and receiving. If you can go in and change that, move things for the better, that's one another approach that you mm. could use that would, you know, but all those have to be real interventions. You can't just pretend to give people more control over their work and not really. People are smart enough to know when they have that. You've got to make any of those areas of work life values, uh, fairness, uh, rewards, any of those, if you work on any of those, they're going to have a beneficial effect. Now, some of them are going to be more powerful in one setting than another, but you've got all these options and you uh, you got to know your people. You've got to give your frontline supervisors the capacity to make some adjustments with people. You can't say everybody's got to be trained exa- treated exactly the same. That's not going to get you very far. You got to, they've got to have the capacity to say, okay, we can come up with a better solution for you about how you do your work in this kind of setting. You know, that kind of idea. And then you can start getting to where these more people and more diverse kind of workforce can find good relationships with their workplace rather than being really strained and a mismatch between what they're aspiring to and what's available to them. Mm. As you're listening, review the last like five minutes and play that like two or three times, no matter where you're at in your organization, there was some real gold in there. Uh, Michael, I'll try to encapsulate some of that. So one of us, you know, at the heart of it, because I always like looking at the root cause, it's a breakdown between the relationship, between the work, the workplace and the individual. So start there because the work itself on its own might not be the thing, but it's the workplace, the work and the individual. Uh, I find that it's the perception and the expectation, potentially a breakdown there, potentially a breakdown with the value drivers, but at the end of it, it could be the workload, but you can't always impact the workload. Yes, but not always because there's always work to be done. Change, sense of control, sense of community, feeling valued is critical to being able to do that. And then also being able to measure some or many of those things, and you didn't say this explicitly, on a scale to see how you're doing and then making sure that the people are empowered to make changes towards that so that they can actually support what that is. Did I capture some, if not most of it? You captured really well. And uh, Christina Maslach and I, I, I major focus in our career has been developing measures so that people can put this thing together, figure out how you can use these measures to not only identify, well, who's on the burnout end, but who's on the positive end and what's going on with that. And then some of the things that are in between, like one of the distinctions that we think that's very important is between people who are burned out, who are exhausted and cynical and discouraged, and contrast those with people who are just exhausted. They're just, but they love their work and they think they're accomplishing great things, but they're just exhausted because they don't have enough support or putting in too many, whatever, for every reason. That that often gets mislabeled as burnout, but it's a much simpler, much more straightforward problem to address than addressing people who are not only exhausted, but they're utterly cynical and they're utterly discouraged. Uh, it's really hard to reach them. People who are overworked, and that's it, just exhausted, they've got an answer 
Let's deal with this workload issue. Let's deal with it. Let's whatever we got to do. Let's do. That's a that that's a much more straightforward problem. It, it is definitely solvable, and it can address a lot of people in today's work world that are feeling overextended in that way. Yeah, I, I like that. One of the things that for those of you that have been listening to the podcast for a long time, you know that the reason why I like doing strategic planning is because if you have a clear vision of where the company goes and the team is working well and aligned, it means you're going to have a happier work. If you have a happier work, you're going to have a happier home. If you have a happier home, you're going to have a happier community. And so strategic planning is our way of changing the world. So Michael, it sounds like that I'm not just <laughs> making stuff up, that there is alignment between having happy workplace, a happy home and a happy community and that way you're not a jerk to everybody you walk by. Can't guarantee it, but decrease the likelihood. <laughs> Absolutely. And being kind right there at the beginning, at the middle of it, that, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and one of the things that you had mentioned again for our leaders, because one of the things that come up and you hear about it probably because it's, uh, sexy or newsworthy where you hear about like toxic workplaces, but it's like rem- mm-hmm. the thing you can do is remove the toxin. And uh, you might be the toxin in your own workplace, but if you don't remove that thing from the environment, it's just going to make the terrible environment for everybody. And that's going to contribute to the, you know, the burnout that's going to contribute to people shifting out of their jobs. Michael, has your research uh, explicitly or anecdotally found the same thing? It definitely found the same thing. And we also found that, I mean, you can remove, but even better, if you can turn a person around, you can just uh, actually, and that's where we do, you know, when we're doing these groups with uh, with workplaces, getting across to people that, you know, this strategy that you're using, that's really annoying people, that's really annoying people. And you don't have to do that. And we can come up together, work out better ways of doing that. Uh, we've done a lot where you, know, you, you, you get a work group where you look at the survey and you find out actually the person the group has the most difficulty with is actually the supervisor. Uh, when we find that, we take the supervisor out and do coaching with them for a while and say, look, you're going to go anywhere with this supervisor thing. These days, you can't you can't have everybody hating you. You've got to actually get across to your people. And uh, you can train them. And people will respond to that. You can, And then put them with the group and do a whole group process to take things forward. I think improving those relationships is one of the most powerful things uh, uh, you can do as a leader within a workplace. Mm. Well, it's just so one of the ahas for me, because I sometimes see like, hey, if you have a person who's who's toxic, for lack of a better word, and, and is not contributing to the environment, but were they like that before? Or was yeah. the other factors like they did they become burnt out? Did they become disengaged? And they are now then right. taking it out on everybody else. And so, really, again, getting to the source of that is key. My God, I think that's just there's so much to go on this, but I think just again, there's some really great pieces here that our listeners can take in to just assess their workplaces and make really tangible steps to make the lives of their employees and their people uh, different and better. And I just really appreciate you for sharing today. Um, Where can people uh, connect with you? Where can they learn more about your work? Where can they, uh, I don't know, take one of your classes in Australia if they're around, Uh, you know, what's the best way to get engaged? Let's go and get engaged. Well, I have a website, mplighter.com. And so that is available and uh, and they can also find the book, which is called Burnout Challenge. And it's coming out in a couple of weeks. 
Excellent. It'll be out by the time the episode is published, which is exciting. So we'll make sure we put a link in there and then lighter spelled L-E-I-T-E-R. So make sure that we get the right, uh, right spelling there. So Michael, thank you again. It's been such a pleasure and I just appreciate the time. It's been, uh, I, I learned a lot today and, and I think our listeners did too. So thank you so much for the time. Okay, thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you today. It's just great. Absolutely. So folks, thank you to my guest, Michael Leiter, who's the author of The Burnout Challenge, Managing People's Relationships with Their Jobs. And for me, I've done tons of podcasts, talked to a lot of CEOs in coaching and on, on this show. And one of the biggest things is looking at the relationship between the work, the person, and the workplace. And if you are committed to creating a great place, look at people's relationship within it and make sure that you have the facts and factors that support them. So thank you again, Michael, to my guest. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you watching. I appreciate you being here. And uh, I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.